everywhere we go today, it seems like the world is angry. Think about it. You go to a fast food place, could be Chick-fil-A, could be McDonald's, could be Bojangles. Chick-fil-A is even designed to make it so you don't get mad. They send two or three people out to take your order in the line. What happens when we are required to wait for fast food? People get ticked off. You get a bill in the mail from a hospital because your insurance didn't cover what you thought it should pay. So you get angry. You go to a sporting event and things don't go the way you thought they should. You thought your kids deserved better and so you get mad at the refs. I can't tell you the number of four-letter words I've heard on Friday nights from bad ref calls. We get angry. You go to the bank to deposit a check and they ask for your ID. How absurd. You've been banking there for years. So you get angry. Someone pulls out on you on Elk Avenue or Interstate 26 and you get ticked off. You go to the mall and you go to shop to buy something and you're in Belks and you can't find an associate anywhere for miles. You get ticked. You watch TV at night and the news that you understand and you come and as you process the news that unfolds, there's this murder, there's that murder, there's 28 people, 30 people that OD'd somewhere in West Virginia, has reaches to Indiana, Ohio and a lot of other places. It seems like we're losing the battle almost on every front. It seems like the world is caving in around us. We don't find any rest for our souls. And all we are able to funnel is the anger and the resentment that becomes real to us on a personal level. Children are a lot more resilient than adults because when we get angry, we tend to lash out at people as I've often said, hurting people hurt people. And so a lot of us are hurting. And if you're not hurting, you're in the minority. But I be rest assured that there are people that are in your household, there are people in your family, there are people in our neighborhood that are one step away from ending it all. That are questioning the very value of the life that they've been given. They're so angry at the world. They're so angry at their situation. They're so angry at their status. They're so mad at someone. And they want to have release. And they only see the only hope, which is actually hopelessness, that they see is to end their lives. We're an angry society. We take our aggression out on everyone and everything. And I don't know if you remember this, but a number of years ago they talked about anger management in the schools and they said, you know, if kids would just get off the video games that are so aggressive, then it would probably solve a lot of the anger issues. Listen, I run into people all the time that don't even have video game systems and they're still angry. Some people say, well, if we just could fix education, then it would fix our problems. It's not a one-step fix to anything except acknowledging the sovereign Lord of this universe. We're an angry society. We get mad at the flip of a hat. We just, within a snap of a finger, 
go from zero to ten in our anger. We carry our emotions on our sleeves. We chew people out that don't deserve it. We're rude and sensitive because what's happening in here comes out of here. What's going on on the inside ends up affecting the outside and sometimes the ones closest to us. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is talk to the people that are closest to you that have to live with you and ask them, do you think I'm an angry person or am I happy most of the time? Am I joyful most of the time? And ask them to give you an honest assessment. I think a lot of people would be surprised at what we perceive ourselves to be versus the reality that we live. We live on edge. So many uncertainties, so many uncertainties nationally and internationally. We don't live in a deterministic culture anymore. Everything change is the mantra. Everything changes. There are no commitments anymore. There's no subtleties anymore. Everything is loud. Everything is crazy. And some of us just want reprieve from the noise of our lives. We're angry. We're upset. We're emotional. We carry our feelings on our shoulders. I was I shared with this on Wednesday night. I was sharing with someone earlier this week, and I told them, I said, I pray for you every day. To which the person replied to me, I don't need your prayers or your sympathy. To which I replied, oh, yes, you do. Though you may not see the value of prayer, this is what I know, hurting people hurt people. Be cautious about who you hurt. Be careful who you intertwine with. Be careful of your relationships. And no matter what we experience, no matter how bad it can get, no matter what we face in this life, on our darkest day, in our darkest hour, on our darkest moment, the God who created the skies and the heavens and the planets and the universe, He deeply, deeply cares for us. He deeply cares for you. Because when you see, when we lose the ability to hope, we lose the ability to live. The Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks of a ministry of reconciliation. I think it's a beautiful passage because he talks about just the work of Christ, the essence of what Christ has done and what he gives us the potential to have in him. He notices in verse 12 of the passage, he says to basically take pride. Take pride in what? And we live in a society that take, takes pride in a lot, a lot of different things. He says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. In other words, he wants us, God desires for us to focus on what's in the heart. Because what's at stake, what really matters to God is the matter of the heart. 
What is the heart's condition? What is our condition as we believe, as we trust? If we have these premises, we believe in Christ, we believe in His birth, we believe in His death, we believe in the power of His resurrection, we believe that all things are renewed by Him. But what we find is, if our actions don't match up to our vocal belief, in other words, if our heart is not changed, then it's all null and void. Because when we are taking pride, we are supposed to be taking pride in something that is unseen, not in a reality that is tangible. I want you to think about the things that you take pride in. Uh, someone commented, why did I not wear, why did I wear uh, this tie today and not uh, University of Tennessee? I was supporting Michigan and then someone said, well, you know, you need to support ETSU. Uh, I need to be supporting Tennessee. We take pride in the sporting events and teams that we surround. I mean, this week I was wearing this nice, uh, very expensive Tiffany bracelet. We are Cyclones. I had three people want to buy it off of me uh, at three different restaurants. And one of them wasn't even here in Elizabethan, so I haven't quite figured that out. That, I don't know what that means. But here's the thing. We take pride in these events. So we go to a sporting event, like many of you. How many of you went to Bristol yesterday? Some of you are going to confess. Okay. And all those people, and they're cheering it on. I mean, listen, we play Rocky Top here in the sanctuary, and what happens? We go to shouting. We get charismatic. And I'm going to tell you something. The pride that we take in these things should never, should never surpass the pride that we have as followers of Christ. The pride and devotion that we give, the shouts that we give, the support that we give to all these other things that in a hundred years won't matter, but in a hundred years it will matter that we gave allegiance not to this nation, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we gave allegiance to Christ to the point that it was more than a vocal assent. In other words, more than vocal support, more than just cheering on the Christians, but that we were actually in the game, that we have experienced a life change, that our heart has been radically transformed by the power of Christ. Be careful of what we take pride in. It's fine to support local teams, but it's far more important to support an eternal God who is, by the way, what we just sang, strong to save. God is interested in our salvation. He's interested in providing us hope. And though many of us are angry and depressed and oppressed, many of us are struggling with bad habits and addictions and whatnot. And you may think today, well, I'm fine because I don't have a drug addiction. Well, the only addiction that we need to have is an addiction to Christ. And I don't see in our society, in our world, a lot of Christ addicts. I see a lot of good talkers. I don't see much, many good walkers. 
take pride. Focus on what's in the heart. We take a lot of pride in a lot of things. But keep it in the right perspective. Focus on what is unseen rather than what's seen. Look at people in their potential. As I frequently said, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't look at them the way they are. Because the way they were was not dynamic followers of Christ. They were messed up. They came from different situations. Some of them were very zealous. They were very devoted. They were prideful about their religion and their Judaism. He called people exactly where they were and he brought them to where they needed to be. And that is the journey of Christ. That Christ changes your life and when he changes your life, it changes in that moment. You don't have to be perfect. He doesn't want you to get your life in order and then come to him. He doesn't want you to tweak this or tweak that or fix this or fix that. He wants you He doesn't want to put a band-aid on your wound. He doesn't uh, want to wipe away the, the scrapes on your face or the battle scars that you have. He wants you. He's not interested in how much you've been hurt. He's interested in how much he can give you blessing. And this is not prosperity gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel of Christ is good news for the angry heart. The gospel is good news for the hurting heart. The gospel is good news for those who are depressed. The gospel is good news for those who are oppressed. The gospel is good news, period. Because in the gospel, we meet the person of Christ and he makes all things New. Why? Because I want you to look in verse 15 of the passage of chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writing. says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Who did he die for? What does it say? All. Christ died for everyone. Not just a select few. Christ died for everyone. 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 Think about that. The next time you shun someone. You just shun someone that Christ died for. Whether they are in church or whether they're not in church. Christ died for them. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He didn't die for people that might show up and be a a great ambassador for him as the scripture will speak about later in this passage. He died for everyone, including those who might never come to the threshold of the amazing grace of Christ. He died for everybody. So when you think of the most lost person you can think of, the most evil person that you can think of. And on this September the 11th, let me be very clear. 
Christ died for the insurgents that will fight, have fought, and are fighting against us. That is how big God's love is. God loves them despite their hatred of him and despite their hatred of us. Now, as an American and as someone who has people who have served in the military in, his fa- in my family, that does not make it a popular belief. What do you mean Christ died for everyone? Well, he died for everyone. And my hope is that the world will be changed through him. That doesn't mean that we stop fighting for the right causes. That doesn't mean that we surrender. But it means that we must look at people in their potential. Christ died for everyone. In fact, if you look at one of the parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you recall the story of the shepherd who has 99, or he has 100 sheep, 99 of them are in the right place. They're in the right pasture. They are the culture of belief. They are the ones who are followers of the shepherd. But there is one sheep that goes astray. Most of us would simply celebrate the 99 and pray for the one who has gone astray. But the good shepherd goes after the lost. The good shepherd goes after the one that may not know him. God pursues the lost. So if God pursues the lost and we are believers in this God and we believe that our lives and our character should match up to the scope of ministry that God's involved in, then we must go after the lost even when the lost represent people or a culture, or a population, or a grouping that, frankly, we don't like. For those who have been in military service over the last 15 years, I won't pretend to know how it is to receive what I'm saying today. But I'm telling you the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the good news of Christ... There's hope for everyone. It's fundamental to my personal belief in Jesus. Because if I can believe in a God who doesn't hope and in a God who doesn't believe and a God who does not desire that all people be saved, including those who are fighting against the very essence of Christianity, then that's a God that could also give up on me and you. But our God doesn't give up. Christ died for everyone. And Christ's love compels us to action. Listen, no, not one of us desires to go into a prison to do ministry in and of the flesh. I mean, I don't. I don't have any, I mean, I don't like, I don't want to go to prison. They can mistake my identity and stick me in there. I don't like it. We do it. We do ministry because Christ compels us in his love to do that which he was about. I don't go halfway around the world to uh, an impoverished place because I like to live without air condition with mosquitoes the size of Texas and with food uh, between goat intestines and whatnot. 
I don't get thrills out of doing such things. I don't do it because I like doing it. I do it because I'm sold out for the gospel. And I believe that Christ has what every single person on the face of this planet so desperately needs. Christ died for everyone. And then Paul goes on to say that we should not live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. Who are you living for? Who is the source of your strength? Why do you continue to get up every morning? Why do you show up on Sunday morning? My hope and prayer is that you show up because God has showed up in a real and personal way in your life, in your marriage, and in your family. And he's given you a hope that surpasses all hope. He's given you a help that surpasses all help. And Paul concludes in these passages that we have a ministry of reconciliation. I want to share with you what that would look like. You see, because I don't believe that we accept Christ in order just merely to gain heaven. I mean, I know a lot of us think of those terms that we, we walk in aisle, we pray to receive Christ, we get baptized, and we're looking forward to heaven. And uh, you'll hear people say, well, this is the only hell I'm ever going to know because I'm going to glory when I die. Christ is not time constrained. God is not time constrained. And his desire is not for us to be angry, patient Christians while we're here. And though heaven is real, and though that may be an existence and a place that we might go, that we're going in the future, I don't know about you, but I want it now. I want heaven in the real world. I want God's love and compassion on this side of the kingdom. I want to be able to taste even but an appetizer of what I'm going to have a full buffet of in the kingdom to come. What about you? Here's the reality of our stories. Christ has not saved us for the future merely. Christ has saved us for now. God's purpose is for now. Don't buy into the message of Christ for what you're going to gain 50 or 60 or 70 years from now. Trust in Christ for what you get in this moment because what you get in this moment is himself. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And this is, what I, this is, this is my ultimate desire. And, and there's an attempt at reconciliation in the secular culture. Secular culture is very good about speaking about a word called tolerance. Oh, let's just, let's just have peace to all creatures. Let's be at peace with the plants. Let's be at peace with the animals, which ixnays me because I love beef. It ixnays me because I like salads. I might offend the plant or I might offend the cow. I mean, the Hindus do have it right. The cow is holy. Every time I go to Outback, it's a good thing. It's a holy thing. It's an experience. And you'll go into Johnson City or in some, it may be here in Elizabethan, I'm not sure, but I see it most of the time in Johnson City, and particularly as you go towards Asheville or you're on I-40 and you cut over into Greensboro, Raleigh-Durham area, they're all over the place. This symbol and this statement coexist. How many of you have seen that? 
coexist? What happened to singing, our God is greater? Because guess what? He is. In this paradigm, in this attempt to understand world religion, in this attempt to be peaceful, we cannot sacrifice what is eternal on the altar merely. Or let me say this, we cannot sacrifice on the altar eternity for the sake of our temporal significance. And oftentimes we sacrifice eternal things for things that in the end won't matter. We are willing to die for things that don't matter in eternity. If you're going to die, make it worth it. Coexist. Pathetic. Coexist. Politically correct, biblically wrong. Coexist. Popular. But guess what? What is popular is not always right. And ladies and gentlemen... What is right is rarely popular. Coexisting, yeah, we can live in peace, but it's not to the extent of what they envision. Because listen, we have this innate desire, we have this void. Every single person on this planet, because God died for everybody, every person has a soul, and that soul is yearning and longing to be completed by the sovereign God of the universe who has made himself a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to live and reside and take up. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to live in us. He wants to set up an address in our hearts. The world has a great desire. Every human being has a great desire to fill that void. Some turn to drugs, alcohol, money, power. Authority, family, whatever it might be, to fill a void. And the problem is when you and I fill that void with anything but Christ, we are always going to run empty eventually. Until Christ is the source of our strength, until Christ is at the center of our heart, until Christ is at the center of our marriage, until Christ is at the center of our parenting, until Christ is at the center of our job, our occupation, and our calling, until we have made Him Lord of our life and captor of our souls, until He has our full, complete, and committed attention, we are always going to run empty in this life. And that void that cries out, the world wants to have peace. The world, listen, there are peacemakers all over the place. Let's just coexist. Let's just get along. The world cannot provide the eternal peace that only Christ can bring. Christianity is not a world religion in competition with other world religions. Christianity is not on the same playing field as any other world religion. Jesus Christ is not on the same playing field with the devil who is attempting to lure us away. He was a devouring lion seeking someone to devour according to Peter. Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is Lord over all, even those who do not 
know Him. Christianity is not a competing entity on the scope or the horizon of religious experience. Christ is the experience. He is the only experience and everything else in the end, every single person, whether it is Siddhartha Gautama, the great Buddha, whether it is Gandhi, whoever, whatever, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone will bow before the sovereign king of the universe in the end. What do we do about the anger? We're in a presidential cycle. Woo! As I've said many times, Christ is not a Republican. Christ is not a Democrat. Christ is not a Libertarian. Christ is not a registered Independent. Christ is above it all. We have a ministry of reconciliation. And in this ministry of reconciliation, it's not ours, it's Christ. Christ has given us a ministry of reconciliation through Him and by Him, which means that we have to be about reconciling the world to Himself. Everybody. Those who are depressed, those who are addicts, those who are oppressed, those who are in poverty, those who are straight, those who are gay, those who are transgendered, everybody, everybody. Let's say this together. Christ died for everybody. Let's say it. Christ died for everybody. Let's say this. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. How bad of a sinner are you? Yep, that one thing that no one else knows, Christ died for you. Yeah, I know you think you're better than the person sitting to your left or your right, but we're not. Because the person on the left, Christ died for. The person on the right, Christ died for. The person that's fighting against us, Christ died for them. The ministry of reconciliation knows no boundary. And guess what? It's a God-sized task. No politician, I don't care, no matter how righteous, how committed, how dedicated they are, will be able to bring about the change that this country so desperately needs. No going to the voting booth is going to change what is the sovereign gods of the universe plan. Because my hope is not in the United States of America. Our hope is not in this great nation that has been tremendously blessed by God. Our hope is in Christ. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And notice what he says, I love this. We are now in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And then the beauty, all this is from God in verse 18, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And then I love this statement, not counting people's sins against them. Look at that. Not counting people's sins against them. Made me think, how many churches have I been in that count people's sins against them? Mm, that'll preach. That'll convict. Because if we are truly involved in a ministry of reconciliation, we will not see people the way they are. We will see them in the blessed hope of Christ. We will see them in their God-given potential. Because listen, ladies and gentlemen, what people present and what people can be in Christ can be worlds apart. How many of us have a story like that? The hope of Christ doesn't know male or female. The hope of Christ doesn't care what your sexuality is. Because in the end what matters is the heart. That's what matters. We're very good at deciding who's in and who's out. God's in a ministry of reconciliation. I don't care what your struggle is. You say, well, Todd, where are you going with this? I'm kind of worried. Get worried. Because <laughs> what I want you to know, there's a lot of things that you and I can be involved in that are so far removed from the person of Christ, but he never gives up on us. You can be a believer and be addicted to drugs. You can be a believer and struggle with your sexuality. You can be a believer in a lot of different categories, whatever you want to make of it. God still loves you. And you can still pray. And you can still experience Him. But here's the thing. Until our lives are completely aligned, completely aligned to Him, we will only get glimpses of the glory. We will only get glimpses of the joy. If you want the full-fledged buffet, we must be completely aligned in Him. A shining, dynamic beacon of light, of hope in our ministry of reconciliation. And here's what happens. When you and I sin, he doesn't hold the sins against us, but listen, when you and I sin, it takes us away from the greatest reality that we could experience. It's what creates this dynamic of anger and hurt and oppression and animosity and what else is going on inside. When we are perfectly aligned in the will of God, we have perfect peace. What about you this morning? Are you in alignment with the Lord? I want you to know that Christ died for you. He died for every single person that ever, ever has breathed and will ever breathe a breath of life. He's died for the unborn. He's died for the living. He's even died for those that are dead but breathing in our midst. How sad it is to live a life and actually never have lived. How much greater could our lives be when they're purposed in the hope and in the ministry of reconciliation that comes from Jesus. Christ died for all. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Christ 
died for us. And next Sunday when we do our Back to Church Sunday, Christ died for those people who have been burned, afflicted. Christ died for those that won't darken our door. Christ died for the people that would rather shop on Sunday morning at Walmart than to go to church. Christ died for those who are going to be on the golf course next week. Christ died for those who are going to be traveling next week. Christ died for everyone. Which means that our mandate and our ministry of reconciliation doesn't end until every last person on the face of this planet, every nation, every man, woman, and child knows Jesus. We're new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Have you been able to say goodbye to your past? Have you been able to welcome the new that's in Christ? Have you been able to align yourself to His plan and His will? Because the solutions to your life's issues, the solutions to your family's issues, the solution to life's most delicate circumstances are solved by going to Jesus Christ and allowing Him, allowing Him to take them on. Allowing Him to change your heart. Because ultimately what really matters is the matter of the heart. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you in this time of invitation. And as we sing Amazing Grace, our chains are gone. May it be a personal testimony of the bondage that we've had, the bondage that we've brought into this very place this morning, and the freedom that we recognize and the freedom that we accept as a gift without any strings attached. Father, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us a hope beyond all hopes. Thank you for giving us a church and a place and a people to grow with and to journey together with, to bloom with. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation which has changed our hearts and has given us a hope and a ministry to do just that in our community, in our homes, and in our lives. Fathers, we come to you in this invitation that those who need to accept Christ to gain the hope beyond all hope. That those that need to recommit themselves, to renew themselves. If they're those that need to say goodbye to the old and hello to the new. If they're those who have accepted Christ but have never ever fully let go of what was in order to gain what is. This is the time of opportunity. And Father, if they're those who want to join and become an integral part of your family here at First Baptist. It's our joy to receive them, to pray with them, to work with them, helping them to utilize their gifts, their talents for a ministry of reconciliation as we've been reconciled to God and as we seek to reconcile others to you through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and above all the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which has given us, even in these moments, our time of opportunity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand, if you're here this morning and you need to recommit yourself, if you need to accept Christ, if you need to say goodbye to the old and hello to the new, whatever it is, this altar is open. Won't you come?
Won't you come just as you are, accepting him, trusting in his grace, pursuing his will, answering his call as we respond.